how deep the Father's love for us. My goodness. I don't know what you're going to be watching later. I'll probably watch the Super Bowl, but there's nothing better than reflecting on the deep, deep love the Father has for us. Amen. This is the best, best show in town today. And it's no show. It's a praise, praise ceremony to Jesus. He deserves all of it. Well, good morning, friends. Good to see you today. Uh, I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. And uh, I invite you to use the Pew Bible there in front of you. It's on page 847, 847, because we want you to see God's Word and, and not just take it from a preacher in a pulpit. Uh, we want you to see God, God's Word for yourself. Uh, but this morning we're starting a new series uh, called The Spirit, God in Us. The Spirit, God in Us. For the next four weeks we're going to be on a journey together to, to ask some questions and then hopefully answer some questions from God's Word about the, the Spirit. Uh, who is He? Uh, what significance does He have in our lives? And uh, there's all kinds of things to, to know about the Spirit from the Bible. We won't cover all of them, but we wanted to ask ourselves, who's the Spirit and then what is the significance for the Spirit in our lives here today? Uh, and I've got some notes here that we've prepared for you, and I appreciate the staff in the office so much for printing these and cutting these. And, and I want to make sure that if, if you'd like to have one, uh, if you, and you didn't get one on the way in, just raise your hand. We've got ushers that would be happy to make sure you get a copy of those. But this is for your own uh, benefit to be able to study a little bit further. Uh, probably not while you've got pizza in your mouth later watching the Super Bowl. But hey, I think that would be great then too. But anytime later on, you can take a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the things we'll look at today about the Spirit. The Spirit and the series is the Spirit got in us. You know, a couple of months ago we were celebrating the Christmas season and one of the miracles of the Christmas season is that in Jesus Christ, the God-man, He is God with us. That's one of His names, Emmanuel, God with us. But the amazing thing about the gift that He's given to all of His followers, His church, is that we don't just have God with us, we have God in us. God in us, and that's the title of the series, The Spirit, God in Us. But, but who or what is the Spirit? And we'll take a look at John here in just a moment. Who or what is the Spirit? Now, for those of you that may be familiar, may, you may have uh, understood that sometimes we get popular culture that will shape our views about things, right? And if you have uh, ever seen the great movie series Star Wars and you understand the role that the force plays in those movies and, and you understand the force and, and sometimes I think sometimes we imagine the, that the spirit of God is like the force that the, the Jedi that they controlled the force and they were empowered by the force and they'd use the force to, to fight bad guys the, the dark lords with their lightsabers or maybe lift or move objects or things like that with the power of the force and the great philosophy philosopher Obi-Wan Kenobi said that the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. And I can't say it nearly as eloquently as he says it in the movie, but we sometimes think of the, the, the spirit as like the force. Well, Obi-Wan Kenobi's disciple, Luke Skywalker, uh, he said it's the energy between all things. It's a tension, a, a balance that binds the universe together. And especially in the, the world of New Age religion, sometimes we think of God or the Spirit of God as like this, this force, this power that's, that's non-relational, but it's kind of out there in the universe. And sometimes those kinds of ideologies can begin to creep into our own understandings about who God is, especially God the Spirit. 
But we're going to take a look at what God's Word has to say and ask two questions. Who or what is the Spirit? Who or what is the Spirit? To lay some groundwork for us for the next four weeks to understand who is this this thing or person that we're talking about. And, and then secondly, this morning, we want to ask ourselves, what's the significance of the Spirit to a Christian? So let's take a look at John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17 together. And before we do that, let's ask for the Spirit's presence to help us understand His Word together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, and we thank you so much that we've got to sing praises to you today. We've talked to you in prayer. We've encouraged each other through fellowship, and now we get to hear your Word I get to hear your word. We, as your people, get to hear your word as you've spoken to us. Would you allow your spirit to to be in our presence now to fill us so that we would understand and, and see marvelous things out of your law? Would you open our eyes and would you open our ears? We trust that you will do that by the illumination of the spirit today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus is with his disciples. He's, he's in his final days before he is about to be arrested. Uh, final moments, really, before he's going to be arrested and put on trial, hung on a cross, and three days later, rising from the dead, and then 50 days later, ascending back into heaven. So we're speeding up the process here in the life of Jesus. In fact, if you recall, we've been in the series in the Gospel of John. We've, we've looked at this passage fairly recently, but I want to bring it to your reminder again. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. 17, Jesus speaking with his disciples says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. So here's Jesus giving his disciples a promise. I'm about to go away, but I'm sending someone to you, and he is a helper. And he's speaking of the Spirit. So, so what about the Spirit? Who, who or what is the Spirit? Well, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek, the, the two words, and you don't need to really know how to pronounce these necessarily, but it's ruach in the Old Testament and pneuma in the New Testament in Greek. And the meaning of these words really are wind or breath or life or spirit of a being. Back in John chapter 3, Jesus even makes the comparison. You know what? If, if you see the wind blowing, you can't see it blowing, but, but you see its effects, right? You see it blowing through the trees. Jesus says it's like the Spirit, right? You can't, you can't plan the Spirit. You can't, you know, force the Spirit to anything. And you can't necessarily see Him, but you see when His effects blow through, right? And so Jesus is, is using that term, and it's wind, breath, life, or spirit of a being, but throughout the, the Bible, when it's referring to the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, it's referred to as, as I said, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, the, the life of God, but really uh, it's the Spirit of God. And, and so we're going to ask uh, ourselves, well, who is or what is the Spirit? And here's three things that I want you to know about the Spirit. We don't have time to dig into it too deeply this morning, but I, I want you to get just a basic understanding. First of all, the Spirit is, and it's on your notes here that you can follow along, the Spirit is first personal. The Spirit is 
personal. In fact, we saw in John chapter 14 that Jesus is not referring to the Spirit as it. He's referring to the Spirit as He and Him. So when we think of the Spirit, it's not a what, uh, it's a who. It's a who, it's not a what. He's not merely a force or a power. It's not the force of Star Wars. It's a person. He's a relational person. Throughout the Bible, we see that the New Testament teaches us that the Spirit can be grieved. You could grieve Him by your behavior and your attitude and your resistance to His work. He can be lied to. Now, He knows the truth already, but in our own ignorance, we could, we could actually lie to the Spirit. You could, just like you could lie to someone that you know. He could be lied to. He's personal. Uh, the Spirit can be quenched. The Spirit can be honored, and He can be praised. Okay? This is a person we're talking about, not just merely a, an inanimate force. And Jesus even said in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to send another helper, meaning another of the same kind. You see me, Jesus says, I'm God, I'm personal, I'm in the flesh, and I'm going to send another helper just like me. He's God and he's a person. You could talk to him. He is who he is, right? So he's a person. He's a person. He's personal. He's a helper. He's an advocate. He's a comforter. Well, the Spirit's not just personal. He's also God. <laughs> he's God. Uh, he's co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. He's the, this Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're one in essence, one in character, one in power, yet each distinct three persons. You see, we believe the Bible teaches, and this is the tradition of Orthodox Christianity all the way back to the apostles. We believe in one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And this Spirit is co-equal and co-eternal with God. One in essence, one in character, one in power. In Acts chapter 5, you could go back and check this out later. The apostle Peter, when Ananias and Sapphira are lying about how much they'd given to the contribution uh, to, the, to the ministry of the church, uh, Peter calls them out and says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And just the next verse later, he says, you've lied to God. You see, in Peter's mind, he equates the Spirit with God himself. And so we see that this God, the Spirit, has creative power. This God, the Spirit, has sustaining power. This God, the Spirit, performed miracles on behalf of God's people, Israel. And He revealed God's will and word through the apostles and through the prophets. You see, when we talk about the Spirit, we talk about a person. And we talk about a person who is God. Co-equal with the Father. Co-equal with the Son. And through all eternity past, they were in perfect relationship to one another. And they are to this day and for eternity into the future. So we see the Spirit is personal. We see the Spirit is God. And then thirdly, we see that the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. This is important to understand too, that even though they are equal in value, equal in power, equal in essence, by their own willingness, they have decided to have an economy within the Godhead. God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Father and God the Son have sent the Spirit to redeem humanity. Though equal in essence and equal in power, the Spirit, uh, excuse me, the Spirit willingly submits to the Father and to the Son. 
In fact, a few verses later in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, I'm going to ask my Father for you, and He, the Father, is going to send the Spirit. The Father is going to send the Spirit. But it's not just the Father. Later on in chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus Himself says, I am going to send the Spirit to you. So that even though Jesus is walking here on the earth amongst His disciples, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, when He ascends to heaven, He is the one, along with the Father, who send the Spirit. So, three things about the Spirit to lay the groundwork for us. He's not the force. He's personal. He's relational. Secondly, He's God. And thirdly, He's sent by the Father and the Son. So hopefully you get a picture here. Who are we talking about? Not what are we talking about. Who are we talking about? It's not it. It's He. And He is God. And He has been sent by the Father and the Spirit for you and for me. So that answers the question, I think, first, briefly. (laughs) Who is the Spirit? But then secondly, what is the significance of the Spirit to Christians? We're going to go on a brief journey here together, so buckle up your seatbelts. Let's go, right? (laughs) In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, you know what I'm thrilled about? Even though I'm suffering along with my fellow servants, you know what I'm thrilled about, Paul says, the apostle? He says, we get to be servants and ministers of a new covenant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, Paul writes, But our sufficiency, that's him and his co-ministers, our sufficiency is from God who's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. We'll describe that in here in just a moment. A ministers of a new covenant, not by the letter, not by the letter, but of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. So he's associating the Spirit, this person who is God, sent by the Father and the Son. He's associating with this Spirit with a new covenant that he says he gets to be a minister of. And then he says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. Well, what's Paul talking about here about this idea of new covenant? Well, just to help you understand, the Bible, when it talks about covenant, it's really an agreement. It's an agreement. It's an agreement that God makes with humanity. You see, all of us were born uh, in sin, but, but the very first man and the very first woman, Adam and Eve, they were born in innocence. They were born before God to be able to enjoy fellowship with God forever. But we know from the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, they chose to rebel against God and disobey His plan. And so they were, they were cast out of the garden where that was supposed to be perfect union with God. They were cast out of the garden because of their sin. And they would be cast out forever, experiencing death and broken in this world and in the life to come. But God said, I'm not done with humanity. I'm not done with humanity because I'm gracious and compassionate and I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. So I'm going to reach out by grace to this humanity and I'm going to make an agreement with them. And we see agreements. There's several of them. Several covenants all throughout the Old Testament. We see that God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to come and I'm going to bless the nations through you. I'm going to restore humanity back to me. Well, that's amazing. That's awesome. And then a few uh, uh, generations later, in fact, hundreds of 
of years later, God shows up again and he says, I'm going to make it a covenant with my nation now, a nation that has come from Abraham. That nation is Israel. After God delivered them out of uh, Egypt through the Exodus, he brings them to Mount Sinai and he says, I'm making a covenant with you. Now, when you've got a covenant, we see that God says this about the, the, the covenant, the covenant that he made with Moses on Mount Sinai, the old covenant. When you see in the Bible, old covenant, it's this covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. And God said this, I want to bless you, Israel. I, I want to make you prosper. I'm going to put you in the land, and I'm going to fight your battles for you. I'm going to bring rain down from heaven so that you've got abundant crops. I'm going to make you the light of the world through you. But here's the stipulation. Remain loyal to me. Remain loyal and allegiant to me only, only. And here's how you're going to do that. You're going to obey my commands. You're going to obey my commands. Later on, God makes another covenant with, with uh, his people through King David. He says, someday I'm going to bring a king through you. But let's go back to that old covenant with Moses. God had promised I'm going to bless you if you keep my commandments. But guess what happens? The people of Israel, they fail over and over and over again. They disobey God's commands. They don't remain loyal to him. And as we see here, there's this covenant that, that God's given with his people, and it's, it's laid out there in the law. And, and you would think that, that, that any reasonable person would look at this and say, I want God's blessing. I don't want his cursing. But the problem is, friends, there isn't any law that can be given to humanity that could change us from the inside out. The law was there, and, and God was showing us, and he knew we couldn't live up to the standard. But that law is there, almost like a mirror in front of our faces that just shows us that we're not just filthy on the outside, but we're filthy all the way down to our hearts. And so the law revealed that our sin problem went all the way deep down to the core of our beings. And that was a problem. That was a problem. Under the stipulations of that old covenant, God said, if you turn from me, I will judge you. I will punish you. I'll send you into exile. But God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so, so while the people are there, they've disobeyed God's covenant and the judgment is starting to rain down upon them, God starts to speak again through the prophets. He speaks to the prophets and he says, I'm not done with humanity yet. And he begins to describe a day that would be coming that would be called the day of a new covenant. A new covenant that would come. You see, under the law of Moses, the, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was there. That's our subject here today. It's not just about covenant, it's about spirit. The Spirit of God was with God's people. You see, under the law of Moses, they could say, wow, look at that tent over there that's in our camp. God's right there. That's amazing. And it's a little terrifying too, because he could wipe us out in a moment if we don't respect him, right? But God's right over there in that tent. Later on, they build this big building called the tabernacle, and they say, wow, God's right over there. There he is. And the nations, people would come from all over the planet to see this great temple where God lived. But it was always, God is over there. But I'm not allowed in, but I'm amazed because God is over there. The Spirit of God was there in that temple. 
And the Spirit of God would come upon people during this old covenant era. And He would empower people for service. And He would empower them and guide them for leadership uh, like kings and others and, and prophets. And He would reveal His Word through prophets. And He would grant supernatural wisdom to people uh, to do amazing things. However, here was the problem under the old covenant. Is that the Spirit could come upon people, but the Spirit could leave people too. The Spirit could leave people. In fact, we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's, it's heartbreaking to see. The Spirit of God, this person who is God and is sent by the Father and the Son, this, this Spirit comes upon Saul so that he starts prophesying and speaking God's Word. It's amazing. But then he, he becomes king and he's anointed by the Spirit to lead, but then he decides to do things his own way and he rebels against God. And it's a sad moment in 1 Samuel 16 where we see that the Spirit is taken away from Samuel. You see, the Spirit was with Samuel, but the Spirit wasn't in Samuel. Oh, excuse me, Saul. I'm sorry, Saul. The Spirit was with Saul. The Spirit wasn't in Saul. And so this king, the Spirit is lifted from this king. And King David comes along and he replaces Saul. And God says, here's a man after my own heart. But guess what? Even men who have to have a heart after God can sin too. Did you know that? There isn't anybody that's immune from sin. And so King David, he commits adultery. He commits murder. It's awful. And guess what David prays in Psalm 51, 11? Don't cast me away from your presence, God. And do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. This was the era of the old covenant. It was a covenant of, of God's grace to his people. But oh my goodness, because of the sinfulness of our hearts, the spirit could be taken in a moment. And David pleads for mercy. And God answered his prayer for mercy. But in that prayer, he knew what, what was at stake. Cast me not away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. You see, the spirit under the old covenant could come upon people, could be with people, could be over there in a building, in an tent, and in a tabernacle, but the spirit could leave. And the spirit did leave because of the people's sin. But we see something amazing happen. A glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope as God says, I'm not done yet. And he begins to speak through his servants, the prophets, he speaks in Jeremiah chapter 31. You could follow along as I read aloud there. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. God speaking through his prophets about a day that was to come. The Lord says through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make in the future, new covenant with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? Because all of them shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their sin and iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Oh, it's a glimmer of hope. It's a glimmer of hope. Oh, preach to me, Jeremiah. This old covenant has brought us judgment. It's brought us darkness. It's brought us sin. And the Spirit of God has left us. We need a better solution. We need a new covenant. And God delivers it through the prophet Jeremiah. He also speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel draws upon this idea of a new covenant. Ezekiel chapter 36. You're free to turn there if you'd like to. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. Now, remember what he just said, Jeremiah did. Now, watch what Ezekiel says about this new covenant, this new day that was going to come. God is speaking through Ezekiel, verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, listen to this. And I will put my spirit within you. I'm sure King David would have loved to hear this verse. Wait a minute. The spirit, I don't have to be afraid that he's going to go. God says, no, this new day that's going to come, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What a promise. What a promise. God is saying, I'm finally going to do something decisive that will get down to the root of the problem, and that's the heart of humanity. I'm going to put my spirit right inside them so that they shall all know me. Friends, I'm just going to fast forward. I don't have time to cover all this. You can read it about it again later in Acts 2. We saw it in John 14. Jesus is saying, I'm sending a helper. He's with you, but he's going to be in you. Well, we have to ask the question, has that happened? Did, 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 did the prophets, the fulfillment of the prophets, did it come? Did Ezekiel's promise come? Did Jeremiah's promise come? Did Jesus' promise come in John chapter 14? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 later, friends, and see there the disciples there. They're in that upper room. Room on, on Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus had risen from the dead, and there they are, and, and they're there, and they're waiting. Jesus said, wait, because I'm sending something. Power from on high is going to come. That spirit comes down from heaven and fills the room so that these tongues of fire are over their heads, and they start speaking in languages they've never, never heard before, never learned before, and they're preaching good news. The spirit arrived. The promise was fulfilled. The spirit and new covenant era had begun. God fulfills his promises, friends. And he fulfilled his promise to send the Spirit, this new covenant. And this promise of the Spirit, it's this implanting and indwelling of the Spirit in the new covenant for you and for me. And that's the only stipulation, friends. This is the beauty of it. Remember the, the old covenant. What was the stipulation of the old covenant uh, of Moses? I'll bless you, but you've got to obey my commands. The blessing of this new covenant is this. I ask you, will you receive my son? Will you receive my son, the Messiah, the Son of God? Will you confess him as Lord of your life and believe that he's been raised from the dead? And when you do that, guess what? You get all the Spirit living inside you. The beauty of this new covenant is that the Spirit is not just with us. He's in us. We got God in us, friends. What a day that was on Pentecost. 
the gift of the presence of God in the hearts of his people had arrived. Well, the promise of the implanting and dwelling of the Spirit in the new covenant means this. First of all, friend, if you are joined to Jesus today, you can say this. I know God. I know God. Not just Pastor Matt, not just Pastor Phil or Pastor Larry or Pastor Tim or anybody. I know God. I know God. I know God because I've got him living right inside of me. I no longer talk about God as being over there, right? In the old covenant, he was in a tent or he was in a tabernacle, right? Or he was in a pillar of fire or on a mountain. No, friend, he's living right inside of you and inside of me. You know, church isn't here at 1477 Willow Avenue. It's not up in these rafters or in these pews. Guess where the church is? Right there. You and me, the people that we sit next to each other in these pews. God is dwelling inside you and inside me. We know God. We know God. Yes, that's worth applauding, right? You might cheer at the Super Bowl later. There ain't nothing better than this, right? I know God. I know God. The promise of the implanted and dwelling spirit in the new covenant means first that I know God. Secondly, I'm forgiven. I'm, forgi- I'm really forgiven. You see, under that old covenant, that old code, I-, I merely had an external sacrifice of blood to offer for my sins. I'll tell you, if you were religious in that old day, it was really bloody. <coughs> Lots of animals getting killed. My goodness, is there ever any end to all of this blood? Because I got to have something that covers me. I'm worthy of death. But under this new covenant of the Spirit, I've truly been cleansed and forgiven of my sin deep down all the way to my conscience. The Spirit comes and sprinkles us clean with clean water and we're washed away from all the fear, guilt, and shame that comes from our sin so that you and I can stand here today not because I've paid thousands of reparations or anything back to my God. It's because I stand here to say I've trusted in Jesus and His Spirit has come into my life to sprinkle me clean with the blood of Jesus and I can say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. You know, we visit those that are, that are sick and about to pass from this life into the next and there are many traditions that pray last rites over someone to assure that they're forgiven. Friend, there's nothing that I could pray over you that would assure you of last rites. You have the blood of Jesus Christ and the spirit inside you that says you are forgiven. We are forgiven. Well, the the promise of the implanted and dwelling spirit in the new covenant also means I'm free. I'm free. If you're in Jesus and you've received the gift of this spirit living inside you, implanted in you, in your heart, you are free. I'm no longer a slave to the wicked and destructive passions of my mind and my heart. I now have a growing desire because of the spirit in me to please God and walk with him in obedience, joy, and love. I used to live a past of disobedience of rebellion, of bucking against God, being angry, being sad about my brokenness, and not loving my fellow man, not loving my neighbor as myself, and certainly not loving God. But today, I've been set free to walk in obedience, joy, and love. What an era we live in, friends. What an era. You know, 
how bad the days seem, no matter how dark 2022 and prior to that seems, we live in the day of a new covenant where the Spirit of God can live in each and every single one of us through faith in Jesus Christ. What a day to live, friends. What a day. And here's the kicker. It's forever. It's forever. You know, I read Psalm 51, and I, I pray that sometimes. Lord, have mercy upon me. I confess my sin to you. But I get to verse, verse 11, and it's not a request. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. I thank you that you will never cast me from your presence. I thank you that you will never take your spirit away from me because of the blood of Jesus, because of the spirit that is put inside of me forever, permanently. Forever and ever, friends, we're going to be singing praises to Jesus around his throne because of the spirit living inside of us as God's holy temple. Wow, what a day. What a day. This is a day of a new covenant. The Spirit is not just with us. God is in us, in us. Well, that's just a quick journey to the Bible. An era of a new covenant. God's not only with you, He's in you. That's our main point today. God's not only with you, he's in you. But here's a question we need to ask, because it's great, and we can get super excited about this on Sunday. What does this mean for me on Monday? What does this mean for me on Monday? And what I mean by that is that you got to understand that our Christian faith does not happen on Sunday either from 9 to 10.30 or 11 to 12.30, okay? Whatever service you come to. Our Christian life is lived out 24-7, 365 days a year. Because when you confess Jesus as Lord, it's not just for a moment, it's for a lifetime. And not just this lifetime, but for the life to come. And so we got to ask ourselves, as we encounter the scriptures together, what does this mean for Monday? What does it mean when I get ready tomorrow and I put on that cup of coffee and I'm wiping the sleep out of my eyes and I'm you know, getting ready for the day and I'm getting in the car for the commute and I come across traffic and I come across bad news on my podcast or radio or whatever it may be. When I get to work and I see grumpy coworkers, you know, that I'm feeling it too. It's the, I got the Monday blues, right? What is this, the spirit in you and in me, and what does this mean for Monday? Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Romans 8, 1 to 17. And I know time is growing short, but we just want to look at this. And this is at the very end of the second page of your notes, if you want to turn there. Romans 8, verses 1 through 17. What does knowing the Spirit is in me mean for Monday? Page 887, if you're using the Pew Bible there. And remember, our main point is this. God's not only with you, He's in you through the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 17. Follow along as I read aloud. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My goodness, there's a sermon right there. Amen? No condemnation. Verse 2. For the law of the what? Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is new covenant talk right here, folks. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, friends, it, for those that have not received the gift of the new covenant of the Spirit, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. You, however, those who are in Christ Jesus, are not in the flesh, but in the what? Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There it is. The spirit is in you, friend. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Friends, this is an entire four-part series, this passage in and of itself. But I just want to take a look at three things, three things in closing here. What does this mean for Monday? Because the Spirit of God is in you, God's presence is always with you. God's presence is always with you. Again, verse 9 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And you may be asking yourself, well, that's a condition right there. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, right? Well, how do I know? There are many church traditions that cheat, that teach that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's good. You've received salvation. But there is a second event or activity that happens that when you receive the Holy Spirit, and you ought to seek that out, and you should ought, ought to uh, pursue that. And often it's manifested in some pretty amazing, like, uh, you know, manifestations of the Spirit, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, is that true? that I could be saved, that I could belong to Christ, but I don't have the Spirit. But look at this, second half of verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. The rationale here is, friends, is here's the caveat. The only thing you need to know, do you belong to Christ? Does He belong to you? If the Spirit of Christ is in you, then you know that you belong to Him. And guess what? How do I know if I have the Spirit of Christ? Have I put faith in Jesus Christ? That's the only, that's the only, only stipulation, friend. There isn't any waiting for a second blessing. There isn't any waiting for an additional event. If you put faith in Jesus Christ today, you belong to Him. And if you belong to Him, you have the Spirit 
of God in you, in you. You've got the Spirit today. His presence is within you. The Spirit implanted in you means that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ lives in you. You have life today. Your, your body may be decaying. You may be sick. You may have received all kinds of terrible diagnoses from your doctor. But the Spirit of Christ is in you. And that Spirit gives life today. Though your outward man may be perishing, your inward man is being new, renewed day by day by day. How? Why? The Spirit in you. The Spirit in you. His presence is with you. You have the life of God What's amazing too, Paul, he talks about this, that the Spirit, His presence is with you all the time. And we don't have time to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes this, he says, speaking to the church at Corinth, don't you know that you are God's temple? You are His house, you are His dwelling place, and that what? God's Spirit dwells in you? You know, it's amazing here to look around this place. I alluded to it earlier. But when I see faces, when I see brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when I see spiritual aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers, when we come together, when we come together, this is God's temple. This is his dwelling place. This is his dwelling place. We are his temple. That's why we need you here, friend. That's why we need you here in these pews. That's why we need you here in small group. That's why I need my small group. Why? Because when I'm with my people, my group, this family of Christ, that's the temple of God there, the spirit of God there. I can see his presence. He's with me. He's with us together. Oh, Sunday morning should be the highlight of our week, and I feel it too in my flesh, friends. Yeah. I feel it in my flesh. I'd much rather stay home. I'd much rather just have that third or fourth cup of coffee and have an omelet and watch the, the birds fly in the trees at, at times in my flesh. But then I remember, wait a minute, this is the best thing that we've got going around here. God's going to show up today because I believe some of his temple is going to show up today. Oh my goodness. And for those of you that can't be here watching online, we miss you, but we know there are so many different reasons why you can't be here. We miss you. We love you. It's not the same without you. And we're praying for you. And some of us need to actually say, we're going to bring the temple to them. We're going to visit them. We're going to love them. We're going to call them and reach out to them and let them know we miss you, but we know that you're a part of this temple. We love you. God's temple is here in our midst. It's amazing stuff, friends. God's presence is always with you. Why? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, not just corporately, Paul writes again, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit in you? whom you have from God. You're not your own. Guess what? When you put faith in Jesus Christ, God put his address on you. you. He says, that, that's where I live now. That's where I live. You can send my mail there. That's where I live. Right inside Matthew. Right inside you if you belong to Jesus. His address, you are his address. That's where he lives. Our bodies belong to him. We're not our own. He purchased us with the blood of his son, Jesus. And let me tell you, friends, he's a great fixer-upper, right? He's a great fix. He knows how to fix us up big time. He's a great renovator. He's renovating me. He's renovating you. But we got to understand that wherever we go, we're bringing the presence of God with us. That should bring us great comfort. God, you're living inside me. I'm your temple. But it also should help Help us recognize that the lost, the only way the lost are ever going to encounter God in this world, it's not at 1477 Willow Avenue. 
It's not in any cathedral. It's not at the Vatican. It's not at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Guess where our world, our watching world, gets to experience the presence of God? It's in you. It's when you go to your workplaces. It's when you go to your jobs. It's when you go to your schools. It's when you go for walks down the street. Wow, God is walking down the street. It's not you, but it's God inside you. You bring the presence of God to a neighbor that's hurting. You bring the presence of God to someone who's, who's maybe just experienced a surgery and, and they need a meal and you bring a meal to them. That wasn't just you bringing a meal. That was God delivering a meal to that person through acts of kindness and love, and when we speak good news, you individually are temples of God. I'll tell you what, we need some more temples to show up. We, we got a lot of work to do around here. We need people that are willing to serve, willing to say, I want to show up, and I want God to show out through me. Does he have your body? Does he have your body? God's presence is inside you because of this new covenant and the spirit inside you. Oh, we need you, friends. We need you. We want you here. We want our kids' ministry to have more volunteers than we could ever use on a single Sunday. We want more volunteers and people that says, I got the spirit of God in me to help, help welcome people to this church. See Ernie Sanchez about that. But we got temples here. But oh, are we using these temples for his glory? What does this mean for Monday? Because the spirit's in you, God's presence is always with you. And we'll talk about what that means in just one more moment. But, but because the Spirit of God is in you, you possess God's power to obey His commands. You possess God's power to obey His commands. Look at verses 12 and 13 again of Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. I used to be a debtor to the flesh. I used to be enslaved to the flesh, uh, to live according to the flesh, but not any longer. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit implanted in your heart, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have power that you've never experienced or could have ever experienced before you came to Jesus Christ. The Spirit is power in your life to obey God's commands. The Christian life is not meant to be a defeated life. It's not to be a life that, that should be themed by guilt and shame. Rather, it should be themed by God's power through the implanted spirit in our lives, friends. You see, I, I, you know, I do some counseling around here, but, but I've experienced it in my own heart. Those times where you feel like the Lord doesn't want to hear from me anymore. To come to him and confess the sin that I've confessed four, five, twelve, a hundred, a thousand times. Oh, he's got to be so tired of hearing from me. And I see defeated Christians, and I've been there myself. We get defeated. We get discouraged. And I think that sometimes, friends, it's because we feel like I'm such a wretched person. Who could ever deliver me? Who could ever deliver me from, from me? And it's, it's not Satan. It's not the world out there. Sometimes my biggest enemy is right here, this bald guy right here. Me, I could be my biggest enemy. But God says, Matthew, I put a power inside of you that will transform you if you walk by the Spirit. See, so many times we're defeated, we're discouraged, we're down and out. We feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel fear. Why? Because we're still trying to accomplish this Christian life in the flesh. But what this means for Monday for you, friends, is that you've got power to overcome the sin in your life and to put it to death, friends. You've got it inside you. The Spirit 
you know, it, it helps me so that I don't give in to porn anymore. I don't want to cheat on my wife. I don't want to be mean to my kids. I don't want to lie in the workplace any longer. I, I don't want to treat my neighbor with contempt. I don't want to be hateful in my mind. I don't want to murder my brother with my hate. I don't want to envy his possessions any longer. I don't want to covet my neighbor's wife. I don't want to do any of that stuff anymore. I don't want to dishonor my God anymore. Why? Because I have a power inside of me that's not just changing my behavior. It's changing my affections. Friends, because the Spirit is in you, you possess God's power to obey His commands. We have God's power in us through the implanted Spirit. So let me ask you today, for Monday and Tuesday and following, are you walking in the flesh or will you walk in the power of the Spirit? Acknowledging your weakness, that's how you do it. You just get before me and say, I acknowledge my weakness. I, I'm, I'm, Lord, I've been here. I've been, Lord, I, I'm too, this temptation's too strong for me. I can't handle it. He says, I know. That's why I gave you my spirit. I say, Lord, give me power that I do not have right now. And he delivers every time, friend. He delivers every time. Because the Spirit's in you, God's presence is always with you. Because the Spirit's in you, you possess God's power to obey His commands. And finally, because the Spirit's in you, you have inherited the privilege, the privilege of being in God's family. I've been weeping about these verses all week. 14 to 16, Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Adoption as sons. The spirit implanted in you is reminding you that you are his child. By whom, by this spirit, by whom, again, not, not by it, but by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Friend, when you get to those moments of doubt, if you're a young person here today and, and you have doubts about your faith, Doubts about the reality of, of the gospel in your life. Why don't you just cry out to God and say, Abba, Father. I, I've been in those moments. I felt alone. I felt like I'm so defeated and so discouraged. And, and I, I'm thinking like, okay, Lord, I need to get before you in prayer. And I'm trying to come up with some like really extremely theological prayer. Talking about the magnificence and greatness of God. And, and after a while, I just go, I, I don't have the words to say that matches how I'm feeling right now. And, and all I can get out is... Abba Father. Uh, Abba Father. And, and, I'll, and I'll wait a while and I'll just say, Abba Father. And in the waiting, in those moments, I've found it. And if you've never experienced that, I invite you just to wait. Verse 16, verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This verse is just blowing my mind. You wait and you say, Abba, Father, I'm alone. Abba, Father, I'm too weak. Abba, Father, I need help. And the Spirit does something inside you and inside me. He says, yes, you're his child. Yes, he loves you. Yes, I care for you. Yes, I know the plans I have for you. Yes, I will carry you. And it's amazing, friends. Just crying out to him in faith. Abba, Father, the Spirit does something inside our hearts that reminds us that we are family. 
that we are family. We belong to God's family. And so today, today I want to invite you to rightly call upon God as Father in the moments of your life because the spirit implanted in your heart will assure your spirit that you're God's child. Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel doubtful? Do you feel defeated? Pray. It can be as simple as Abba, Father. And if God's word is true, which we know it's true, verse 16 is a promise. The spirit who lives in you will flood your heart with peace to know that your prayers have reached the Father's ear and that he will keep you, that he will provide for you, that he will protect you. Why? Because you are his child. Sometimes I need to remember that I'm his child. I love it when my kids come to me, Dad. And you know, when it was little, Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I gotta go to the bathroom. Now it's, Dad, my heart's heavy. Can I talk to you? Oh my goodness. That's precious. Imagine the heart of your father. Crying out, Abba, Father. And he says, Spirit, remind Matthew. Remind him right now. He's mine. And the Spirit floods your heart to remind you, I belong to him. Have you cried out to him today? Will you cry out to him on Monday? This is what it means for Monday. You've got the presence of God. You've got his power. And you've got the privilege of being his child. The Spirit will remind you that you are his child when you cry out, Abba, Father. What a blessing. I want to ask, there may be somebody here today. There's got to be somebody here today. That they still look at this God and they say, well, that's God over there. I see him in that church over there. But you've never experienced God inside here. You've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you today, friends, we're not making you jump through any hoops today. All we're saying is come to Jesus. Come to his feet. Receive him as Savior and Lord. Repent of your sin and just say, I want Jesus and I want to receive that gift that he promised. I want to have God come live inside me. If you want to do that today, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't be cast out any longer. God wants to give you the greatest gift you could ever have. God in you through Jesus Christ. Won't you come and receive him today? I'll be here. You can come. We'll pray with you. We'll cry with you. We'll answer your questions. We've got leaders here. We love you. We want you to receive this gift of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, oh, what a gift it is to have the Spirit. God in us, the presence of God, the power of God, and the privilege of God's family not over there, but right here in our hearts. We thank you for the gift that we've received in Jesus of having the Spirit indwelling in us forever, permanently, and, and instantaneously through faith in Jesus Christ. But Father, I, I would imagine, and I'm no prophet, but I would imagine there's someone here today that, that has never received that gift of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Oh, I pray, would you convict their hearts? Maybe even make them miserable because it's miserable living outside of God's will. Oh, I pray that you would uh, allow them to see that there's beauty in Jesus. There's nothing like him. There's no one like him. And the gift that he's given us in the spirit. Oh, I pray that they'd call upon him. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Please do that in their hearts today. And now as we go, I pray that you would help us to go as your spirit-filled people, as the temple of God that will go out to Super Bowl parties and, and walks at the park or wherever it is that we'll go today. Oh, let the presence of the spirit be on display in our lives to a watching world. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, temple. Go in the spirit.